We're here this evening, of course, to talk together about Psalm 119, and I don't want to steal our discussion time by talking for very long at all, but I do want to give us a little bit of an introduction and a way into Psalm 119. Obviously, I'm guessing most of us, if not all of us, have had the opportunity to read it, and we've started to get to grips with it, but there's a few, there's a few things about this psalm that I think are helpful for us to touch on and think about at the start. So why don't we begin by praying? Let me lead us in praying and asking for God to speak to us through his word this evening, and then we'll take a look together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day and for this particular gift today of gathering around your word, this, this glorious psalm, this rich psalm that celebrates the gift of your word to us. Oh Lord, we pray that you would be with us now by your spirit to speak to us once again through your word. Lord, that we might see wondrous things in your law. Lord, that we might meet with you and hear you speaking to us. Lord, please bless us now as we, as we look into it together, particularly as we then go into discussion groups. Lord, help us to build each other up and encourage each other by sharing your truth, applying it to our lives, Lord, talking about how it's affected us. And we pray that you'd be glorified in all of this. Amen. Okay, so as someone's already pointed out, these are very slim notes, um, but there is space for taking notes. So if you'd like to jot down anything, you're very welcome to do that. But I wanted to try and sum up in a short span of time, what is the message of Psalm 119? What is this psalm about, if you had to put it in a nutshell? Well, one way to sum it up in two simple words would be to borrow the words of um, a, a Bible teacher called Christopher Ashe, who's He's written a book on Psalm 119, which I've really benefited from over the last few days and uh, have lent on somewhat this evening. He calls his book Bible Delight. So you can sum up this psalm in two words. It is about Bible delight. Uh, now, as a church, we obviously rightly have a high view of the Bible. We, we recognize that as something very important. We believe the Bible is trustworthy, it's inerrant, it's inspired, it's infallible. We believe and know it's the very words of our creator to us. And it needs to be recognized as such and received like that. And the author of Psalm 119 would agree with us wholeheartedly. But he'd go further. He'd say the Bible is not... So the Bible is meant to be something we not only know and accept to be God's word. Yes, of course we should. But it's also something which we should love and delight in as well. Christopher Ash, I've put this quote on your sheets, says, Bible delight is the heartbeat of this psalm. As we read and pray through Psalm 119, we keep company with one who delighted in his Bible. To him it is delicious and delightful. As he reads it, he keeps stumbling across treasure. It is his hope, his peace, his joy, his song, his freedom, and his comfort. But I wonder, if we're being honest, how this psalm actually made us feel this past month or these past few weeks, this past week as we've been reading through it. How did it make us feel? While I'm sure, on the one hand, it stirred our desire for God and his word, it stirred our desire to treasure God's word more, I do wonder if it might have left us also feeling a bit overwhelmed or maybe like we've fallen short somehow. Or maybe it's even left us wondering whether this psalm could really apply to anybody but Jesus himself. 
who is the only perfect one who keeps God's law perfectly. After all, the psalmist says far out things in this psalm. He says, verse 1, Blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord, and blessed are those who do no wrong, verse 3. Which really would seem to suggest this psalm is just about Jesus. Or it might suggest that God does in fact bless people according to their works rather than according to his grace through Christ. And so, uh, and even if we deal with that problem, this seems to paint a picture of perfection and a, a picture of keeping God's law. Even if we deal with that, the psalmist says some quite incredible things about how much he delights in God's words. Verse 72, he says, The law of your mouth is better to me than gold and silver which is inspiring in his passion, but it can seem a million miles away from where we actually live our lives each day. Popped another little quote on your sheet there from um, some of my favorite daily Bible notes, actually explore Bible notes, great for going through parts of the Bible. And on Psalm 119, the author says this, we are all too conscious of our sin. God seems far away for much of our busy days, and it's often a major effort to open our Bibles. So the enthusiasm of the writer makes us feel either guilty or that we've missed something major about being a Christian. And not to mention the fact, I'm just laying up problems at the moment with this psalm that might have already struck us. Not to mention the fact he's actually saying his delight is not just in the word of God, but it's in the law of the Lord. His delight is in God's commands. We might wonder, how can he say that? Hasn't God made a righteousness available now apart from the law? Isn't the law a heavy yoke, hard to bear, Acts 15? Aren't we now, as Christians at least, to delight that we're not under law, but we're under grace, Romans 6? So just what is really going on here? How are we to approach this psalm? Well, fortunately, the help and the answers that we need are all found, I believe, in the first 12 verses of the psalm. So if we, if we, if we dip into those first 12 verses, they, they give us the way forward to enjoy the rest of the psalm as it's meant to be enjoyed, to benefit from it as God intends. The opening 16 verses introduce us to three key themes that together explain how to read and rejoice in this psalm, right there along with the psalmist who wrote it. And those three themes are walking, longing, and storing up. First of all then, walking. The psalmist begins in verses 1 to 4 by telling us that his intention here in this psalm is not merely to talk about an object. We might just think this psalm is about God's word, the book, the thing in front of us. But it's not about that. It's about a way of life. This psalm is about a walking in that word. In fact, the psalmist tells us right at the outset that the only true way of blessing in this life is to not just know the way of the Lord, but to walk in it which is thought-provoking to say the least. Now, think about this. If someone was to stop us in the street and say, hey, I, I recognize you're a Christian, can you tell me about how to be blessed? How, is a, how could a person truly be blessed? How might we respond to them? I trust that we begin by talking to them not about the works we must do, which we know could never earn God's blessing. I trust we begin by talking to them about the finished work of Jesus on the cross on behalf of sinners and the, and the sure and blessed status that can be given to a sinner who simply turns and puts their trust in Christ. We might quote Psalm 32, verse 1, Blessed 
is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. The way of blessing, we know this as gospel Christians, is not to earn our way towards God. It is to receive the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that he offers to sinners by grace. That's the way of blessing, we would say to this person who asks us. But is that all we would say, assuming they're still listening and they'd like to know more? I don't think we should stop there. Blessing does indeed come to us through faith in Jesus, through a Christian's forgiven and justified status in him. It always remains there and it rests there secure in Christ. But the full riches of God's blessing are enjoyed by us because of the freedom he gives to his people, believers, to walk with him. A freedom to know him and increasingly walk with him. A freedom to increasingly live and look and love like him. We've seen this recently. That's the deepest joy of Paul for being a Christian, is both to be clothed in Jesus' righteousness and, as a result, to know and walk with Jesus. That's why in Ephesians, Paul, after laying out the gospel of salvation by grace, could write some verses that sound very, very similar to Psalm 119. Ephesians 4 verse 1, Therefore walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Ephesians 5 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now that, I think, is very much what the psalmist is talking about in this psalm. He's not saying the way of blessing is found in earning God's favor. Even in the Old Testament, that just isn't the case. He's not saying the way of blessing is found in keeping God's law. Even as an Old Testament Christian, he's writing as one who's been saved entirely by the grace of God. But he is saying that the fullness of blessing is found in being saved by grace, precisely so that we can then seek God with our whole hearts. Um, he says that in verse 2. So that we can strive to walk in his ways, verse 3. So that being saved, we can make every effort to keep his precepts diligently, verse 4. Fullness of blessing is found not just in knowing the ways of the Lord, but as a result, also walking with him in them. Now, just to stress this again, only God's redeemed people can walk in God's ways. But blessed is that redeemed person who now sets their heart on walking in the ways of God. It's only by grace that the psalmist can talk about even God's laws and commands being such a good thing to walk in. God's laws and commands, they are bad news for someone who is trying to be saved by keeping them. But they're a sweet and blessed thing for those who've been saved by grace and now want to walk more closely with the God who saved them. And so it's really vital to set this psalm to the right tune, to put it like that. This psalm is not meant to be set to the harsh tune of legalism. It's meant to be set, again, borrowing these words from Christopher Ashe, to the sweet music of grace and the melodies of Jesus. Okay, so I hope that, hope that first one begins to answer some of our reservations or questions about the psalm already. Begins to perhaps answer why it is we can celebrate God's law, even though we're saved by grace. But what about the fact that the psalmist does seem to have a greater delight in God's word and are walking in God's ways than we might feel we have in the general busyness of daily life? Well, here's where the second repeated theme of the psalm comes in, that of longing. Have a look at verse 5. 
The psalmist says, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. You see, the psalmist longs for his ways to be steadfast, but he also knows how prone his heart is to wander from the Lord. Just as much as we know how prone our hearts are to wander from the Lord, and maybe that was some part of the effect of reading this psalm was to make us realize again, oh Lord, my heart has wandered. How prone it is to wander. And you see, you see, much of this psalm is an expression of the psalmist's longing. A longing not just to live according to God's ways, but a longing to want to long for that. We've talked about this recently. It, it's, this psalm is a desperate longing for God's help to live God's ways. Now here's something that really deepened my appreciation of this psalm this week. I hadn't seen this before. Maybe you spotted it. You're, you're quicker than I am. Have you noticed how much of this psalm is a prayer? How much of it is a prayer for God's help? In fact, considering how long this psalm is, the longest of all the psalms, it's only after just the first three verses that the psalmist transitions into talking directly to God and asking God for help, and he pretty much does not stop for the rest of the psalm. So in verse 4, he moves from doctrine, just three verses of doctrine on their own, stating some truths. Then he moves to prayer. After that, he doesn't look back. Practically everything from verse 4 onwards is the psalmist addressing God personally in prayer. Now, why does he do that? Oh, it's because he is keenly aware of how he can't accomplish any of this in his own strength. He knows he fails and falls short. He feels his continual need for mercy and help. And so he prays. He asks God to help him again and again and again. So this psalm, it encourages us from verse 4 onwards to move from merely thinking about God and his word to actually talking with God about his word because we need his grace so much. And the psalmist is really passionate in this prayer as well. He's long, but he's also so passionate, as I'm sure you noticed, because the more he exposes himself to God's word, the more he loves it and the more aware he becomes of how much he needs God's help, of how far short he falls. And so he longs for grace. He longs for mercy. He longs for help. And he longs to walk in God's ways more. He longs to keep them. Not to earn God's mercy, but actually he longs to keep God's ways because he's already received God's mercy. That's his response to the Lord, the covenant Lord, Yahweh, who saved his people. But then he does one more fundamentally important thing that again comes up again and again in the psalm. Alongside praying with a longing heart, thirdly and finally, he talks an awful lot about storing up. Storing up. Look at verse 9. How can a young man, and this isn't just about young men, I think it's just that the psalmist was perhaps a young man at the time. It, this is for all of us. How can a person, how can a believer keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Walking in the way of the word, growing in godliness, or whatever label we might put on it, is not about learning techniques. Sometimes we can think the Christian life is just, give me, give me a few techniques, just a few bullet points. How do I do it? How do I live the Christian life? It's not just about performing certain rituals every day. It's not even merely about reading our Bibles each day. That's a good thing. 
But that's not what the Christian life is about. We could read the Bible all day, every day. It could go in one ear and out the other. It would just bounce off the surface, leaving barely a mark. No, the word has got to get inside of us to do its work. The word is like medicine. That, I think, comes through in this psalm once again. The word is like medicine for the soul. It, it, like medicine, it doesn't do us any good reading the label. Maybe you've picked up medicine from the chemist before and you're on the way home. And, and of course, you need to read the label, see how to use it, apply it. You study it, read it carefully. But it's not going to do you any good until you take the medicine inside. It begins to work on you from the inside. We have to drink the word down deep. We have to let it penetrate our hearts and change our thinking and transform our wills and our desires We have to do what the psalmist does, which is to treasure it. We have to dwell on what God has said. And so that's what the psalmist talks about repeatedly, again through this psalm, about storing it up in his heart, letting the word be his guide, his lamp, the light for his life. Which I think is just another reminder to us, these reminders keep coming all the way through, that walking in this way can only be done by a grace that comes from outside of us into the believer's heart, into the believer's life. We, we need God's word to come from outside of us. We need God's grace to come from outside of us, to us, to work its way deep down into our hearts. The psalmist knows that he will, left to himself, wander from God's commandments. He knows he'll wander. He's not storing up God's word to look impressive. He's not storing up God's word to earn favor. He's doing it because... He needs that word inside him. He needs it feeding his heart in order to walk in God's ways. He knows that without it, he will continually go astray. Only God's word dwelling richly in his heart will keep him growing. And so, it's a wonderful thing that God has shared this psalm with us, that the psalmist has shared this psalm with us, because out of the psalmist's longing, he writes the longest of all the psalms to express his prayer and his desire to remind himself and us that God's word is indeed precious beyond measure and that there is great blessing in striving by grace to prize it and grow in it and walk in its ways all the while resting in our covenant God, in our saviour who saves us and keeps us and sustains us and grows us entirely from beginning to end by his grace. Well, there is something of an introduction to the psalm. I am I'm very confident that you have pulled out far many more gems as you've gone through this psalm together. So why don't we break up into three groups? There are some questions on the sheet. The questions really there are just some prompts and some helps. Uh, you might find in your group that you've just got so much already. You've underlined and you've jotted down notes and there's things you'd love to share. You might not need the questions But if they're helpful, you can dip into them. Most of the questions are fairly broad and generic anyway. I think, I mean, they're helpful. But the last maybe three, five, six, and seven, are a little bit more specific to Psalm 119 as well. So if if you feel like you've covered the first ones in your general chat, you could start to move towards those final ones as well and get very specific together.